0: This is Exponent Philanthropy's catalytic podcast Conversations with Leaders at Small Foundations. Meet some of the most creative, resourceful, and risk taking foundation people in the country. Diane Brown leads a community foundation in New York State that serves a city of about 45,000 people and several rural counties. In our conversation, she shares how the work of four staff is amplified by dozens of community members from all walks of life—people in government, business, civic life, faith organizations, and the nonprofit sector. As an example, the foundation collaborated with nonprofits and city leaders to establish a social purpose grocery store in a neighborhood without access to fresh food. Diane shares how volunteers and partners did the work and the essential convening role her foundation played.
1: We seek out community members in every one of every every nook and cranny of the region that we serve. So we have uh, grants panels for our health and human services grants, our education grants, our arts and culture grants. And then finally, a a catch-all category, which we're thinking of renaming, but we currently call sports, recreation, and community. And those would be organizations like Boys and Girls Clubs and WISE and also municipalities. We do fund municipalities. Um, So we look for folks working in those sectors As well as donors, as well as just interested community members, um, who like, I would like to be able to help decide where this money, this grant money is going. And, uh, they again, we've been really able to pull people in from, um, from two and a half hours away because we're all doing it on Zoom right now. I could not, we could not be doing the work we do and I could not exist without my planning committee. And we are lean organizations, only four of us myself, program officer, administrative assistant, and finance officer. And our planning committee consists of board members and non-board members from the community. And every new initiative that we've launched, every new way of looking at things, whether it's how we change our grant making, which we're in the middle of talking about right now at planning, whether we take on a specific community need um, or community convening role, it's always been first Run by the planning committee and the planning committee has offered enormous wisdom and direction to us. So if you're a lean foundation and there's only four of you or really only two of you, myself and my program officer that are working on the, you know, moving things forward in terms of, you know, looking at new topics, uh, thinking about community needs that no one else is, is working on, we couldn't have done it without that, that committee. So our planning committee consists of approximately 15 members. Um, Primarily they're board members, but they're board members that have chosen to be on the committee because of their interest in um, moving the agenda of the foundation forward in a a more um, detailed way than than simply on the board. We also have um, the executive director of the local United Way, the executive director of the local IDA and Chamber of Commerce, who actually is the same person. Um, members of a local small uh, foundation, the Clean Foundation, um, members of local, uh, m- uh, public media, as a matter of fact, and also the executive director of the local rural health network. And the committee members come and go. I mean, there is no particular, uh, uh tenure. Um, it depends on their interest. Um, they, they sign on and stay on. Um, I've not had anybody leave for other than. I'm leaving my job, or I, you know, I can't just can't do it anymore. No one's gone off the committee because they weren't uh, weren't loving it. Our members actually really enjoy this committee and enjoy being part of what they consider to be like a, I want to say like a thirty thousand um, foot view of what's happening in the region. I think to many of them that's what's very important. But they not only you know approve and come up with ideas for our primarily community engagement. Um, but they also help make decisions about how we're going to fund it. Um, One of our members who was a former dean of the College of Community and Public Affairs at Binghamton University, also on the board of the local Clee Foundation, which is a small, another very lean foundation locally, um, wanted us to do scatter maps of um, entities that provided services that addressed our needs assessment needs in 2015. So she brought to the table money from the Klee Foundation, where we hired an intern from Binghamton University, and on our website now are scatter maps of services that will address the uh, needs that we um, we discovered or we knew about, but actually just were able to document in our needs assessment of 2015. So everybody at the table brings something different um, to planning, um, and we depend on planning to help guide us in the direction. That the foundation should go. Uh, 2020 was all about COVID and COVID uh, relief. Um, the planning committee is who we talked with about um, downsizing our application process and streamlining it so we could get money out the door quicker. So they're a, su- they're a sounding board. They're a funding approver. Um, they are, um, they bring I- ideas in that we might not have even thought about. So they, I would say they amplify the ability of four staff members to do the work in the community um i think i might have talked about in our last uh our last uh, meeting the fact that we have a fund for um the Chibani corporation and that is stimulating is meant to stimulate entrepreneurs and individual um organizations in four of, three of our counties and a county that we don't normally cover for uh, agricult- agricultural entrepreneurship and so on um, and that's that's critical in our region. I mean, we're a region of dairy farms that are many, many of them in very deep trouble. So um, how can we help those farmers uh, think about different ways to use their land, uh, different value adds to their, um, what they're producing and so on. So economic development in our neck of the woods is really significant right now. Um, workforce development is significant for us as well. We have had a food desert in uh, the north side of Binghamton for 25 years. There's not been a grocery store there. There's never been a grocery store interested in going there, even though the city had money that they were willing to offer vendors. They just didn't want to do it. So um, our program officer, Tina Barber, noticed that there was a social purpose grocery store in Utica that seemed to be of interest. So we got a van load of people, including folks from the United Way, The Council of Churches. Why the Council of Churches? They were the nonprofit that ended up taking on the job of opening the grocery store. They were a logical choice because they are very involved in food insecurity in the in the the community and uh, members of the mayor's office. So we went to uh, Utica. We did a tour of the of, of the social purpose grocery store there and came back and started meeting. We met with the mayor. The mayor was very much wanting to leave a legacy of being able to put a grocery store there. And he had not been able to find any organization or for-profit business willing to do it. So two, two and two and a half, three years later, after uh, brokering meetings with that original group I mentioned, as well as other funders, um, that uh, social purpose grocery store opened up in January and the mayor found a spot for it the local Section 8 housing that they were just getting ready to put up about exactly a year ago. So the Social Purpose Grocery Store is not only located in the midst of of the 11th Ward in Binghamton, which is sorely needs it, but it's actually in a building that is uh, Section 8 affordable housing. So they've been in in operations since January. Of course, everything was slowed down because of COVID and uh, supply chain issues. Um, and they are still in need of some subsidy because, you know, it's only their first year, but they have been very successful. Um, they are welcomed in the neighborhood. And actually, before we put it where we ended up putting it, we did a survey. We hired a local neighborhood uh, a resident to literally go door to door and ask people, where would you like to see this grocery store located? Um, what would you like to see at the in the grocery store? What's most important to you? I mean, we had, you know, uh, Uh, local bodegas and um uh dollar generals where you could get you know some shelf stable food and also deli kinds of food but things like fresh produce and meat were not available at all unless you really wanted to go uh, quite a hike to a grocery store that was quite a ways away over a a busy highway so uh long story short i guess or long story long (laughs) more likely um it's uh it was a Collaboration between funders, uh, local government, um, a local not-for-profit, um, local politicians, um, and uh, and also our state senator to get money to uh, make this happen, and it's been very successful. It is not strictly like a traditional grocery store in that you're not going to find everything you would find on a shelf in a Wegmans or or uh, Whole Foods or anything like that. What you're going to find our uh, is product that actually the council of churches goes to utica and buys from that social purpose grocery store there and is comes back and is heavily discounted there was there were some real misconceptions whether this was going to be expired food or whether this was going to be surplus you know us surplus food that's not what it is at all it's uh they've taken some time to get new vendors they didn't start off with every vendor you can imagine so at the very beginning, there were certain products you were not going to find in the grocery store. But as time has gone on, and they've expanded their vendors and they've expanded their um, their product, at the behest of the local community members, they've been able to uh, to make it be more and more like a traditional grocery store. You're going to find you're going to find you're not going to find fresh meat. You'll find frozen meat. Um, you'll find a lot of fresh veggies. Um, you will find a lot of shelf stable, and you'll also find shelf stable uh, products. But you'll also go in and like they might have gotten a um, truckload of, you know, ice cream, and it's going to be heavily discounted. And there will be a lot of ice cream, for example, or a lot of uh, frozen lasagna, depending on what they're able to get from the grocery store in Utica. And the reason they work with the grocery store in Utica is the originator of that grocery store, again, a um, a social purpose. Organization there um, was a, himself a grocer many years ago, so he has connections all over the place. So um, that has been their their stream of product. So it's a collaboration, not just with local nonprofit um, government entities and so on, but also um, a nonprofit in in Utica, which is right up from us. Uh, it's about a two hour drive um, up Route Twelve. So in terms of funding, um. Uh, I can't tell you the exact number. We put in very little. I mean, we were the conveners of the committee, and that's a lot of the – so there was a lot of sweat equity, so to speak, from us. But we put in, I think, around $25,000 to get things going. But we've had local – every local foundation, local banks, 150000 from the city itself, thinking that probably the enterprise itself, when it's all said and done, was somewhere between 500000 and $750,000 to start. That doesn't mean they're not going to need more. I mean, in fact, I know they're coming to us for some operating funds for the next year um, for their um, for the rent, for example. So they are uh, they're still needing support. Um, they have not gotten to the point yet where they are self sufficient, but I do expect that that will happen. Just to, you know, slow going margins and bur- I learned a lot. I know a lot more about grocery bur- stores than I ever knew, but margins are very small, and so you can't expect to be um, to be in the black really quickly
0: thanks to diane brown for joining us to learn more about diane and the community foundation for south central new york visit the catalytic podcast website look for new catalytic podcasts each month meet more creative funders benji Rue does the audio engineering and mixing our website is by Kwok lee our music is by O future The Catalytic Podcast is made possible by grants from two Exponent members, the 1772 Foundation and the Blackstone Ranch Institute. I'm your producer and host, Andy Carroll. Thanks for listening. Join us next time.